The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. Now, I am joined by Dara O'Brien, the Fianna Fáil TD Minister for Housing, Local Government and Heritage. Uh, good morning, Minister. Good morning, Anton. How are you? I'm very good. We were speaking about a, a lot of the issues pertaining to uh, housing um, with our, our panel there before the mm-hmm. news. And one of those was this issue of uh, the changes in respect of provision of housing to Ukrainians. And Craig sure. was telling us um, that this was a bone of significant contention between yourself and Roderick O'Gorman. That Roderick O'Gorman suggested that it be cut back to a three-month maximum and then Ukrainians be told they could fend for themselves and you strongly oppose that notion. Well, firstly, Cabinet Subcommittee, like Cabinet, is confidential. But look, I think if I could say, firstly, like the state has been able to accommodate, you know, well over 80,000 Ukrainians in just over 12 months, um, as well as many, many others fleeing from uh, persecution right across the world. So about 100,000 people. And that doesn't come without its challenges. I think in the main it's been done well. Um, there have been challenges through that that we have to manage. Um, it's difficult to predict the number of people coming in. I expect we have a cabinet subcommittee on Ukraine uh, tomorrow evening. Uh, and I understand that, that Roderick, who we work very closely with on this because the local authorities play a significant part in this, which are under my department, that Roderick will be bringing some proposals to Cabinet tomorrow. And uh, if, those proposals, if those proposals include a 90-day limit to the provision of housing for Ukrainian refugees, will you oppose them? No, I think, look, to be fair, Anthony, we work on these things together. I think we'll all have different opinions on it. I, I, uh, certainly what we need to see um, um, is, is, a, is transition as well, how we can support the Ukrainians who are here, many of whom are now taking up jobs. I heard that discussion on your panel just before I came on as well. Many of our Ukrainian friends are working. Um, they're setting down their roots here. We've got to plan for the longer term because if you look at coming into the winter now, um, it, it looks like it's a stalemate, obviously, in, in, in Ukraine. Um, this war could go on for many years, uh, unfortunately. Uh, many of our Ukrainians won't be going home anytime soon, so we've got to plan but, but without an, for the uh, medium term. I'm not asking you to, to breach cabinet confidentiality, uh, and I understand what you're, the point you're making about decisions ultimately being collegial, but your opinion is mm-hmm. your own. In your view, do you think it's acceptable that we would have a 90-day time limit? No, I think, to be fair, it is a collective decision that we make. What I've always sought to see is, well, what is the next step? How do we transition um, from the existing arrangement to new arrangements? And that's going to be an important part of of the discussion. I think Roderick has done a lot of work on this. Uh, I understand the the pressures that are are, are there right the way across the system. Um, but we've got to see, you know, what the proposals are. Uh, I'll go through them obviously in detail tomorrow evening uh, with colleagues and like we've done on this issue and many others right the way uh, since the government was formed we work on these things together to to, to resolve these And do you think that something needs to be done to create what is being described as a chilling effect as in changes to social welfare if not time limits? Do you need to reduce the amount of refugees coming in? Well, I think to be fair, I haven't seen the paper yet, so I'm speaking in absence, in the absence of seeing what what the proposals are. Uh, we're a very welcoming country, and the vast majority of our people support what we're doing here and help in that response. And I think, as a country, we can be very proud of the work that has been done, particularly in the last 12 to 18 months, in that regard. But we've got to make sure uh, that we have the capacity as well to be able to accommodate people. And we're building on that capacity around the refurbishment of 
of existing properties, commercial properties, that type of thing, because I do believe we have to plan for the longer term. Migration uh, right the way across the European Union or migration to the European Union, I believe, is here to stay. Uh, and we see that from conflicts right the way across the world, people wanting to come to the EU. But also climate change is is real and people are moving. Um, and, you know, I think the European Union need to as well act as a collective and act, uh, act uh, more cohesively together in that regard because okay. this, this, this we're, we're living with the reality of, of increased conflict and climate change and people moving to look to make a better lives for themselves and I think we've seen in our country over the last 30 years in particular because of the diverse nature of our country it makes our country better okay. it makes the, our country now, stronger you mentioned, the, the issues, you mentioned the issues of capacity talk to me a little bit about capacity overall because if we look at the, the numbers as we stand coming towards Christmas 13,179 in emergency accommodation. That's an increase of nearly 2,000 a year on year. 3,900, nigh on 4,000 children in emergency accommodation. And when you look at the underlying pricing, particularly in the greater Dublin uh, area for housing, we've seen a 25% increase in the price of housing over over a three-year period. None of that would seem to bode well. No, well, firstly, in relation to those who are at the sharpest end of the housing crisis, those who don't have a home at all, we have the capacity to look after them when we're doing that uh, in, in good emergency accommodation. What's, what's good in that, Anton, is that we're exiting more people out now but in the first three quarters of this year than we've ever done into permanent and secure housing because we're increasing our social housing bills. Our, the momentum in the new builds delivery is very, very strong will exceed our target uh, this year quite substantially. I predict we have a target of 29,000. So it will be in the low 30s and a very strong pipeline for, for next year. So to get to grips with the issue of homelessness, you've got to provide uh, permanent, secure housing for people. I want to assure people through the winter months that anyone who's unfortunate enough to find themselves homeless or needs the support of the state, they'll get it. We do have the capacity there to do it. We will finish out this year, I think, in a very positive way on new housing delivery, very significant amounts of social, private and indeed affordable homes. And comparing across Europe, we're, we're one of only, the only country out of 19 where, where our residential construction is growing uh, of those countries that are surveyed. And uh, it'll grow again next year. So there are positives there. We've more first-time buyers buying than we've had since 2006. Um, there, um, unquestionably, there remains challenges, and um, n- you know, none less so than the area of homelessness. But I am confident we 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 are getting to grips with that now uh, through the exit. And at what point do you believe? Housing. At what point do you believe, Minister, you will see a material impact on those figures? Yeah. Because whatever about a housing pipeline, that that's sure. a trend. It isn't a result. When do we begin to see results in terms of the homeless numbers? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm loath to predict exactly when. What I would say to you is this, is the housing delivery in this quarter will be very, very strong. And I've, you know, instructed local authorities where I particularly took at the areas of families, the families have been homeless for some time. We do have, the, the homeless community is made up, you know, by various different segments. We new arrivals, people who come out of the private rental sector and that. So it's hard to predict, you know, new people who are coming into it. But I think we've such a significant amount of stock now will be coming on this quarter and quarter one, that I really do believe that we can make a significant inroad there. We also need to make sure that we've a stable uh, private rental market um, and more work needs to be done in that space through delivering cost rental homes for the first time. You know, state-backed affordable rents didn't exist uh, before and we've either in place or approved over 3,300 tenancies 
in that space. And they're, they're, so there's new solutions that we're bringing forward that are actually taking hold now. And okay. I think overall, when people travel around the country and you can see in all of our cities and most of our major towns, very significant residential construction in place and that's going to continue into next year. You, you talked about the, the more difficult end of the housing issue, mm-hmm. that of course being homelessness. One of the things that we've seen mm-hmm. over the past couple of weeks has been the revelations in respect of the Peter McVeary Trust. In your, can you explain how it could come to pass that the government could tender and contract an organisation that was operating essentially according to its interim CEO on the cusp of insolvency? Well, firstly, I'm restricted by what I can say because I'm conscious that there's three um, pieces of work happening in the Peter McVeary Trust right now. Uh, and that is through the approved housing body regulator, through my, my own team that are in there under under. Uh, recently retired Chief Executive Danny McLaughlin and, and also the Charities Regulator. My main priority is to make sure the services continue for the service users uh, and that the many, you know, the many staff within Peter McVeary Trust to carry out a really important function uh, that they're supported through this. So that's why I have provided uh, interim emergency funding with conditions. Uh, the, the trust themselves um, you know, are a charitable body. They have their own board. They're responsible for the management of of uh, the Peter McVeary Trust itself. Um, what I would say is I want to support the, the work that they're doing. I think we will be seeing potentially significant restructuring uh, in the first quarter of next year, but I have to await receipt of the investigative reports that are underway uh, before we make decisions as to how we can move on further in the interim. And do you think, sure Minister, we're supporting the services. do you think, Minister, to any extent, <clears throat> the the well-earned celebrity status of the man after whom the trust is made, Peter McVeary, distracted from a government oversight and scrutiny that should have been applied no. with more rigour? No, the government oversight is not, not in question, to be honest with you. I think there's, there's, there's duties um, that, that the board and previous boards have and chief executives within the trust itself to manage the day-to-day finances. I don't think anyone would expect government to be micromanaging every NGO in the country, and I know you're not saying that. But no, but it is no, in receipt of significant government monies, oh, and you would think there would be it, oversight it, in that. It is, certainly, and, and there was. This it doesn't just relate to that. The, the Peter McVeary Trust, I'm just conscious not to go into too, too much detail, received funds from various different sources different government departments, not just my own. And obviously for what for what we were investing money in, like the provision of the Housing First, which is a really great scheme that looks after people who've, who, you know, very chaotic lifestyles with addiction, may have been homeless for a long time. The Peter McVeary Trust did a really good job there in actually helping secure those tenancies where we would pay for new properties to be built and they would manage the tenancy with, with the user. And that's been really successful. I want to see that continuing. But, you know, I, I think there will be, no question, there'll be lessons learned to be learned for the trust. Uh, I've provided interim emergency funding with conditions, and that'll be done on a phase basis. I got government approval to do that because I want to ensure that the staff that are there uh, are, are are paid to support uh, the the service users that are really reliant on the Peter McVeary Trust. And to get back to your question, like I know Peter, uh, he's a good guy. I've engaged with him a lot. Um, you know, I don't think there's any question of because of his, as you put it, you know, sort of celebrity type status that there would have been, you know, not the the same oversight. I don't think so. I think it's more it's more complicated than that. But I I am speaking to you, you know in the absence of receiving uh, the detailed reports, which I guess end of this month and, and, and into quarter one, quarter two, but I'm committed to making sure that the services that they provide continue for, for the people who need them. 
You, you spoke earlier on about the targets that you were seeking to hit and the pipeline of, of building. Um, if you were, as you say, listening earlier on, you will have heard that quite lengthy text that we got on that talked about the market in which this is happening. So uh, five factors outlined by the text are not enough labour, labour and materials expensive, planning pr- system without predictability, cost of debt tripled over the last uh, number of years. And the grief for a developer is relatively large compared to the relatively small return that they make. To what extent are market conditions like that hampering your efforts to get houses built? Well, I think if you look at cost of funds, firstly, like the, the cost of actually borrowing to develop a, uh, a, a development. Like we've stepped in in that space, like the state's putting in this year about $4.5 billion, and we're joint venturing with private developments to deliver affordable homes and social homes will put five billion in, in in next year, so we've been able to counter that. Uh, there there are certainly significant increases in in cost, but because of the state's investment on behalf of its people in delivering more stock, we've that has had the effect of de-risking uh, developments too, which means we that private developments have been able to continue as well. So we're kind of booked the trend for the rest of Europe. Anton and I referred to the Euroconstruct report earlier on, where all other European residential markets are are either contracting, we're, we're the only ones that's growing. And I am conscious we're playing catch-up of 10 years of undersupply. But, you know, the, on that element, the state investment is having a positive effect. Your, your text had also mentioned in relation to planning certainty. That's why I brought the planning uh, and development bill into the doll. It finished second stage just, the, just this week. Uh, I'll have that passed hopefully by the end of Q1 next year. Uh, and that provides that certainty and consistency uh, and clarity that's actually needed around around, around planning decisions. And, and just while, while we're on the topic of planning, yes. uh, Minister, the, the, mm-hmm. we had I, I know you've spoken before and I've spoken to you about the issue of the go-away money, that this being that developers are effectively being extorted or there's the suggestion that in communities around the country that a developer attempts to build and that effectively the people nearby say, well, look, we will withdraw your objection or our objection if yeah. you give us money. We saw in the papers yesterday, Pat McDonough from Supermax saying that he has had two million euro requested from him for people to withdraw the objections for developments that Supermax might be making. Would you be concerned by the what seems to be a building drumbeat of how common that is? I read that piece um, and I have seen reports of of other cases and I think that type of behaviour is reprehensible to be honest with you. Um, It is effectively trying to um, make financial gain uh, a threatening objections and delays in projects. We just talked about cost of finance, a delay in, in, in drawdown of finance through the planning process costs real money. The people at the end who are affected are the prospective home buyers. Um, Ivana Batic from Fairness raised the case with me earlier this week in the Dáil. He sent me details over of that too. What I did say in the Dáil this week though is that under existing criminal justice legislation and I've well, in advance of these couple of cases coming up in the RT Investigates program, I have got clarity from the Attorney General that two pieces of, of, of criminal justice legislation that would cover a prosecution in this case, whereby someone is actually seeking money effectively to, uh, you know, um, to withdraw or threatening an objection if money isn't, isn't received. And we believe that's a criminal act. What I am looking at is do we need to strengthen that further when we get to committee stage of the planning bill? Not sure that we do, because the legal advice is there that. It can be prosecuted, but what I would say to people first and foremost, if if they're developing out and they're receiving requests like this, that is illegal, and they should bring that to um, the notice of Angarda Shia Khanna, um, because it, it, it is an illegal act to seek money uh, to either 
threaten an objection or to table an objection and to seek money for that to be withdrawn. That is illegal and it shouldn't happen. Um, that is not to say there are many others out there who make genuine observations and objections and we've got to protect that within our planning system and I will. But the prominence of these type of cases, the prevalence of them, uh, is a concern uh, and it's something that, that, that we are addressing. Minister, thank you very much for your time this morning. That's Minister Dara O'Brien, who is Fianna Fáil TD and, of course, Minister for Housing, Local Government and Heritage. The Anton Savage Show. Brought to you by PwC. Sunday mornings from 10. On News Talk.